0: So today we have Pastor Michael. Michael is over our Finances. Tell us about yourself, Michael. So I'm Pastor Michael. If I haven't met you, uh, uh, my wife, Audra, is over here. She and I have been married for 20 years this last month. Yeah. We've got three great boys. Uh, We've been a part of Church Unlimited for... Thirteen, maybe fourteen years now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, been on staff for for nine years, so yeah. I get the the privilege of, of being one of the pastors, uh, leading several of the teams, the finances. I'm I'm the executive pastor, which is kind of like a, the CFO, if if you will. Everything so, we don't like to do, um, we just give to
1: Michael. That's basically yeah. what happens. So yeah,
0: so so yeah, so, yeah. so it's love it. Uh, it's an honor to be here uh, and and be a part. And Michael is uh, oversees our
1: finances, also payroll. So every two weeks, we're really nice to him. It's great. We're like you look so attractive today, Michael. You look <laughs> wow. You look incredible. So that's how that works. And so Michael does a great job. And we know we we actually get all this every year, and we pass. Not only do we pass, but this last year, I'll just brag on you for a second. This last year, we actually had the auditor say, "Can we use your church as an example to other churches on how good you guys do it?" I was like, "Wow, we have a great team." Yeah, it was pretty impressive. So we're real happy about that. So we, we have a whole a great finance team. It's not just Pastor Michael, but thanks for all you do, man. We are well, grateful you. for you. So Thank you.
0: Well, let's dive into some questions. Yeah, so let's jump in. So yeah. we've got a lot of great questions, like you mentioned. So uh, just starting off, let's let's start off with parenting and talk about some biblical tools for parenting. Well, I'm an expert, clearly. And so my
1: kids are perfect. I've never <laughs> sinned. they have never Same. done anything wrong. So Same. yeah. No, parenting's a great one. That's a huge one. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing I would say with parenting is get your kids around the right kids. Uh, I mean, half the battle is won or lost on who they're hanging around, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, we made lots of mistakes. But I think one thing we got right was we just, if the, door, if the doors of the church were open, they were there. And yeah. so they were always, you know, we're like, you're going to children's church. You're going to children's camp. You're going to youth group. You're going to youth camp. I mean, just nonstop. Because they'll tell you, like, we wouldn't pick our own friends. Well, that's great. But just have them pick from where you take them. And
0: so then they're picking from among the kids at student camp, things like yeah, that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, so one of the questions that, okay. that came in along the parenting lines was, should I let my kid have a phone? That's a great question. Um, so uh, every parent's different
1: on this one. It's not like a verse that says, you know, Proverbs 32. There is no Proverbs 32, by the way. But, you know, it doesn't say like thou shalt not or thou shalt. Um, I would just say this. Uh, I would slow your roll on it. For sure. Mm-hmm. I think kids are getting phones way too. I see 10 year olds walking around with phones. That's crazy. And so, I mean, if I was giving my 10 year old a phone, it'd be like a jitterbug, like old person's phone. Kind of no offense if that's what you carry. But I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't give them a smartphone, is the point, because that's what you really want to control. In fact, the stats are horribly bad, like, especially for girls. The younger they get a phone, the, the less self esteem they have because of social media. So even when you give them a phone, you don't have to give them social media. That's right. Now you're in the thick of it. Right. I'm going to let you talk about this because yeah, you, you've so we, got We've teenagers. got three
0: teenage boys. Yeah. So for us, it was it was a combination of finding that balance of their responsibility and mm-hmm. our convenience. Yeah. Uh, so because there's there's all the monitoring and everything that comes with it, it's not just mm-hmm. hand it to them and let them go. So, so, you, so you monitor their phones? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So we believe that we want to teach and train them up to make good decisions so we don't block it, just everything. We give okay. them limited access access. Um, they, there's no social media at at a young age. Um, but, but we want them to learn how to make good decisions while they're in our house and while they're going under us so that when they leave all of a sudden it's not just this, Oh, look at all this stuff and they don't know how to make a good decision. So, so we believe in filtering. We believe in, in random checks uh, and grabbing the phone and saying, Hey, what you been up to, you know, and, and, and then conversations to follow up on those decisions, hey, what, what was this mm-hmm. about? What, what were we thinking? How did we go down this path? Then that may lead to further yeah. um, restrictions or, or taking away or those sorts of things. But, but again, we, we go back, we want them to learn how to make those decisions on their own.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's a good call. And just monitor the phone like crazy. Uh, and so, and by the way, when, when they say, I don't want you checking my phone, that's when I say, oh, I'm not checking your phone. I'm checking my phone. I own that phone. So please hand me my phone. And so don't be afraid to check it. You should be texting texts as well. Kids are sending nudes to one another nowadays. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Well, frankly, as a pastor, I already know this. Adults are doing that too. And so, and it's ruining people's lives. So things like that. So you really want to talk to them about those things. Don't just hand them a phone and say, good luck. I mean, make sure you... I would turn a smartphone into a dumb phone as much as you can to where it's yeah. on lockdown and then slowly give privileges until they, if they prove they can't handle it, then take that away, that kind of thing. So my, my daughter, I mean, before she went to A&M, she was a senior in high school and I would take her phone from her if she was acting up because like for me, when I was growing up, if you took my car keys, that was just death. You know, it was like, wow. this my life is over. Nowadays, they're like, take the car, just don't take my phone. So the phone is actually more, more important than even uh, transportation, which is crazy to me, but that's the way it is now. So, yeah. Well, and
0: social media, and you mentioned this, oh. it's, it's the worst. It is. So, so our kids, it's the gutter. Our, our 17-year-old, who's just, he's going to graduate high school this year. He yeah. just now is being given the privilege of having access to social media because, um, let's face yeah. it, it's, it's, it's bad for us as adults, uh, yeah. much less a, a child who's learning how to make good decisions. So you gave a phone
1: without giving social media, just to Absolutely. be clear. And then slowly you started to add some of those things Absolutely. if they proved they were worthy. But that's a good call. I think that's really wise. And parents, don't, don't be afraid to do that. The biggest thing I would say on parenting is that you're not supposed to be their friend. Don't, don't think you're going to be their friend. You're their parent. And so you had Absolutely. to make the hard calls. And so I remember years ago, someone told me this, and I thought it was brilliant, which, which is that if you need them, you can't lead them. And so if you need them emotionally to like you, then you really can't lead them well. And so I just want to encourage you, like you're not there. Like maybe when they're adults, you can be their friends, but not yet. You know, not, not when they're kids. You, you have to be the one to, to draw the line, just say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go here. We're not going to date this person, all that kind of stuff. And so those are big things. We didn't let Sophie date until she was 17, actually. And so we held off. I think no, I'm sorry, 18. She was 18, and I regret that when she turned 18, I was like, oh, she just said 19. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) I mean, I just think it just spared her a lot of pain that a lot of kids go through. So so, good, yeah. So so good.
0: So on the same lines of parenting, one of the things that you know that that um, that we face in this world regularly, I face Mm -hmm. it, we see it. But how do you prioritize relationships with your spouse and your kids? Should you put your kids over your spouse? Should they be more important? Should your spouse be more important? That's a good question.
1: I think it's clear in scripture that you put your spouse first. Uh, And so we we do that. My my wife and I, in fact, the kids, when they were younger, would say, do you love mommy more than me? And I'd be like, yes, I do. And they'd be like, oh, what? They get all mad. But they loved it because that gives them a foundation because the kids are worried. Like, are my mom and dad going to stay together? That's a real worry. And even if you're on your second marriage, I would say, make that one stick. And so prioritize your spouse first and then the kids. And it's also, you're actually helping them learn to do that too. So that you'll, you're actually going to teach them to, to stay married to the same person. And so that's really important. And kids are good at dividing and conquering too. So don't let them do that. So Mason or Cole or, or Sophie would, you know, get into some spat with me or Jessica. And they would come to the other spouse like, dad said this. And Jessica would be like, I stand with dad. And they're like, oh, you always take his side. I'm like, right. Yeah, because we're one. And so that's a big deal. And so they just know that if you're going to have an issue with, with mom, you're going to you get an issue with me. And Same so then. that we just always return. And then if we don't agree, we do that behind closed doors. And then we figure it out
0: and come out with the United Front. So. So good, so good. So transitioning to our second question, is it wrong to desire riches? That's a great question. And so
1: um, I would say this, the Bible talks a lot about wealth and riches and money. Uh, Jesus actually talks more about money than than almost every other subject. And I wonder why, why would Jesus talk more about money? I think it's because he knows it's close to our hearts. It's because it it affects who we are. But I would say this, the Bible is not against riches. In fact, if the Bible was against riches, then why does Proverbs talk so much about how to build wealth? Mm Mm-hmm. So it can't be evil if riches are bad. And, and if, if, if big houses are bad, then, then heaven's a horrible place. In other words, well, clearly it's not a horrible place. There's mansions there, right? So there's nothing wrong with any of those things. So, but I want to be real clear here. The problem is, is that we, we try to turn the gospel into riches. And it's not. The gospel is you accepting Christ and telling other people about Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And so, but, but I just want to say this clearly to you. The Bible has no problem with you making money. The Bible doesn't have a problem with you having money. The problem is if the money has you. And so what I would encourage you to look at is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He doesn't say there's any problem with you having treasure. It's just, what are you doing with it? And so I would say this. If you're bringing a tithe and then, and then you're, doing, you're, you're being a generous person beyond the tithe, above and beyond that, towards ministry causes, towards other people, and then you're being uh, responsible and saving as well, after that, I would say, buy what you want. Like literally, buy what you want. If you're if you're being responsible and you're giving to the Lord the first tenth, which Scripture says in Malachi chapter three is His. So to not bring the first ten percent is, is stealing from God, right? So if you're if you're bringing the ten percent, then you're giving offerings when God leads you to above and beyond that, and you're being generous and you're saving. If you're doing those things. Spend it the rest of the way you want. I mean, drive what you want to drive, live yeah. what you want to live. You, know, you, you can dress head to toe Gucci and Balenciaga if you want. I don't care. I mean, I couldn't afford that. But if you want to that, great. <laughs> the, the, the point is, is that what, what I found is more surprising, people say, oh, he or she is filthy rich. I think you can be filthy poor too, which means that you spend all $30,000 you make on you. Yeah and you don't honor God and you don't give above and beyond. So I would just say, whether you're rich or poor, uh, honor the Lord with your wealth. And if you're doing that and following what Proverbs says, your savings, you won't be poor long. Absolutely. If you begin to become a saver. So you know, Pastor Michael, I know that you're, you're a very generous person. Um, another thing about you and Audrey that most people knows is it that, is that you love giving. Like I've just noticed it about the two of you. And, uh, and I think this is really important and I don't, I don't talk about this very often, but I just want to say this here because it's it's not like a normal sermon. We're just kind of having a conversation. But, you know, we believe in the graduated tithe, Mm -hmm. you know, and so believe it or not, um, I think you'll get to a point where giving goes beyond obedience to just fun. Yeah. Like you literally enjoy. It's like, this is so cool to be able to make a difference, to be able to know you're, you're really helping people. And so to me, if I'm not driving a little less than I would normally drive or living a little less than I would normally live, then I'm not really giving. I'm not really sacrificing. So to me, that's part of the fun is to know like, no, this is cool. I know know how I could live, but I do this for God. And it's a good feeling to to know you're making a difference.
0: It is, and and you know, for us, we haven't always been there. Like we mm-hmm. we started out, and we had to figure out how to give and how to tithe and how to give above sure. uh, the tithe. And and it's almost become a little bit of a of a challenge inside of a dream of how to outgive ourselves. Yeah. Um, and and for me you know and my wife we have a dream that that just lights us up inside and it's it's to 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 be a big giver yeah um, and and to whether it's to the church or to to people whatever that is but yeah. but that's something that we've found as we've given more we've just found so much joy from that
1: it really is it, it it's a great thing and the note sounds crazy if you're like that seems so foreign to me that's not a bad sign it just means it's a sign you haven't done it yet but once you start doing it you'll realize this really is cool it really does feel it really is I mean even, even rich business people who aren't even Christians will tell you it's better to give than to receive. Mm -hmm. Like they will tell you that. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage you. You really can make a huge difference. And so, but graduate that tithe, you know, 15%, 20%, 25%. That may seem crazy, but we've done that for years and and God has blessed us. And I believe God's blessed our investments because of that. And so just to encourage you, that may seem crazy, but it's
0: It's pretty doable. Absolutely. And I think when you go back to the crux of the question, you know, the the desiring of riches and things, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, obviously the Bible is chock full of of verses of scriptures, uh, hundreds if not thousands uh, within the scriptures that talk about riches, possessions, those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. But but I really like to come back around to Solomon, King Solomon. Uh, He's arguably the richest man in the Bible, if not yeah, the richest, maybe one of the richest men ever to, the to world. walk this earth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and what did he seek? He didn't seek riches. He sought wisdom yeah. and the riches followed. And I just think, yeah. I think that's a great example for us to look to.
1: Well, and if you give a guy a million dollars, he lacks wisdom, they'll lose it. Absolutely. And so, and you can, you can take away a million dollars to someone who has wisdom and they'll get it back. And so, so just let that sink in for a second. So wisdom is what you need more than you need money. So, yep. All right. Yeah. Just so, good. You guys helping getting anything from this,
0: I hope. All right. All right. So jumping to our next question, what is heaven gonna be like? That's a great question. Well, uh the Texans win
1: the Super Bowl every year. It's going to be amazing. No, I would say this. Um, uh, there's a lot of questions about heaven, but let me just give you some simple things. Uh, for one, we, we, have our, we have our current bodies now, but they're heavenly, which means like you're perfected. So we can still see who you are. We'll recognize you in heaven. Just imagine you without blemish. That's kind of nice, isn't it? That'd be like, I can't wait for that, right? Am I going to have like a full head of hair? I can't wait. All the fat's gone. I'm all about that. That's going to be wow. great, right? I, I so, caught that
0: comment. I, yeah, I'm yeah, oh, sorry.
1: I, I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Sincerely, I apologize. So, in heaven, you can eat all the Mexican food you want. You get more ripped in heaven. The more Mexican food you eat, yeah, I, I believe that. that. I, I truly believe that. So, uh, but actually, there's going to be animals in heaven too. Did you know that? People, I uh, get that question like, is my dog going to be in heaven? But there are animals that are going to be in heaven. Um, a couple other things too. Uh, did you know that heaven is going to be wrapped around the earth? So literally, that, because God made made the earth perfect in the Garden of Eden, and then of course Adam and Eve blew it. Man blew it, right? And so God's going to come back and says in Romans, Revelation 21 that he's going to make all things new. So he's going to actually bring heaven back down to earth eventually and rewrap it. So based upon that, I believe a lot of the things we do now we'll do will do in heaven, meaning that... I think you're going to be able to recreate in heaven and have fun. And if you like to surf, you can surf in heaven. I, I really believe that. And so I also, because there's just too many things that he made us in his image, which means the same things that we like to do now, we'll probably like to do then. So I just really believe that what you love to do, you'll do even more and perfectly in heaven. And so it's going to be really fun. The only thing that's a little down, downside that some people don't like is that they're actually, the Bible's pretty clear, we're not actually, we're not actually married in heaven. And so, which I know some people are like, oh. But I want to be with my spouse. Well, we're not married in heaven. I don't know if we can get married in heaven. I'm not sure. But we are the bride of Christ. And so marriage is a picture of us in Christ. Uh, But I know one girl I'll be chasing around in heaven for sure. Her name's (laughs)
0: Jessica. So, yeah, so. Hope that helps. That's good. That's good. So the Bible is full as we transition here to our next question. The okay. Bible is is full of examples of of miracles that, that are yeah. seen, performed, uh, but we don't seem to see those a lot today. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why don't we see big miracles today? That's a
1: great question. You know, you, you look at the scripture, you're like Moses parts of the Red Sea, you know, and Elijah calls down fire from heaven, you know, and I mean, you're just like, wow, these are amazing miracles. Paul would just touch someone, they'd be healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is incredible. The boy that fell out of the second window during his sermon, which by the way, I've never had anyone die in my sermon. So I'm doing better than Paul. Okay. I just want to (laughs) be clear on that. But anyways, kid falls out, he goes down and heals him. I mean, it's like, wow, why don't we see that today? Well, um, Acts chapter two is probably the best example of this, but the, the key to all of those miracles Moses included is that it was, there's always more miracles when God is being introduced to a new people group, to a new nation, to a new group of people. And so that's when you see the most miracles. And so I've got some good news for you today. That means that actually there are crazy miracles that happen today. They just typically happen with missionaries mm. around the world because they're going to new tribes and new groups of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. So when Jesus, when God introduced himself, he always brought miracles uh, to give that kind of credibility that he is real. And so that still actually does happen today, but we just don't see as much. Why? Because Jesus is all, I mean, we have billboards about Jesus everywhere now here in America, so it's, it's not a miracle to us to hear about him, right? And so that's one of the reasons why we frankly kind of take it for granted, I think, in our country. Uh, but there are miracles that still happen today. For, let me just give you one example. Um, if, you, if you ask missionaries um, to come share stories, which I love talking to missionaries, and we support a ton of missionaries. And so if you ask them to share stories, it's kind of a known thing that they have to be careful not to share too much because it'll freak us out because they see stuff all the time that's crazy, And pretty cool. So uh, let me give you one example of a miracle story. Years ago, there was a a, a missionary to Africa, him and his wife. They go there uh, with their kids, and they went to a certain tribe, and they were warned not to go by the warlord who said, if you come and bring your God, we will kill you. Well, he came anyways, and he inched closer and closer to town until eventually they built a home. Uh, Right at the edge of town, and they would go and share the gospel with anyone who come out to them, and they eventually would inch closer and closer, sharing Christ. Until finally, they knew the drill that when they were done with the family, the warlords would get all their council get together and say, "We don't like this family." They would all light up torches at night, go and burn the place down with the family in it. That's what they did. So one night they came for them. The wife sees the torches; they see the people gathering; they're they're doing all their chants; they're freaking out. The wife is crying her eyes out. They're all thinking, "This is it; we're going to die." She's on her knees praying. The husband says, stay staying here. I'm going to go out. He walks outside and he just looks at him. He doesn't know what to do other than to stand in faith. And he says, in the name of Jesus, I demand you to stop. And they all looked at him, looked at each other bewildered and ran off. They have no idea why they didn't get killed that night. A couple of years later, he won that warlord to Christ. And the warlord asked him, I have one question for you. He said, what's that? He said, that night we came to kill you. He says, who were all those gigantic men with those big swords standing on the roof of your house? Wow. God still
0: performs miracles. Yeah, so he does. Yeah, so good. All right. So why is speaking in tongues, or sorry, is speaking in tongues real? Mm -hmm. And if I'm not able to speak in tongues, does it mean the Holy Spirit is not in me?
1: Great question. Some people say I speak in tongues every week because they have no idea what I'm saying. So the speed. You know, the yeah, speed. Speed, that's the issue. Yeah. No, first of all, let me explain what speaking in tongues is. How many of you guys are, 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 have heard of this? You already know what speaking in tongues is. Okay. So a lot of people don't have their hands up. Let me tell you what speaking in tongues is, first of all. In the Bible, there's places where people would just start. In, in, in Acts chapter 2 is where we see this introduced. People began to speak in a language they did not know until the gospel. They began to explain Christ and what he did on the cross and rose again. The the same thing I share every week. Just imagine me going to Zimbabwe where I clearly don't know the language and just God coming over me. And I just speak my normal sermon, but it's in a different language. And so that was speaking in tongues. And so someone could understand it. That's speaking in tongues. Okay. And so the Bible is pretty clear that there's supposed to be an interpreter as well when someone speaks in tongues. The word tongues in the original Greek language just means language or glosseria. That's what it means. And so, not to be confused with talkeria, that's a whole other meaning, but, <laughs> which is on my mind all the time. But anyways, but yeah, no, the glossary, just vocabulary is all that means. It just means they just spoke in a language that they didn't know, but someone else did know it, okay? And so the question is, is it real? Yes, and it did happen, and it's pretty amazing to think about. There's lots of scripture on this, but I think the argument then comes in. People say, that this is what they tie it to. They say, well, you need to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit that's where I take, take disagreement with and say, no, actually the Bible is pretty clear on this. In fact, I want to show you scripture in Ephesians chapter one, if I can. Let me just turn here real quick. i got my cheat sheet here to get there faster. Ephesians chapter one, it says this, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit when he pro- whom he promised long ago. And so when you received Christ, you got the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is pretty clear that there's one baptism and one Holy Spirit. Like you get it at once. You don't. There's no second filling. Okay, and so now there are theologians that would disagree with me, but the Bible, by and large, speaks of how you get the Holy Spirit when you ask Christ in your life. So I don't believe you get. I don't believe you get more of the Holy Spirit by speaking tongues. Speaking tongues can be evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you, but so can living right. So can loving people. So can caring for people. All that's evidence also of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Um, I've asked God because Paul says to go ahead and ask God for all the gifts that you want to ask for. So I said, God, would you let me speak in tongues? God is not granting me that gift. I, I've had great spiritual men pray over me. I mean, godly, well-known, charismatic pastors, if I said their name, some of you would know who they are. Pray over me. And it didn't happen. So I'm like, well, Lord, I guess that's a gift you didn't want to give me. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, one time I had a guy come to me and he said, uh, Pastor Bill, or, or this guy he's a friend of mine. He said, hey, Bill, um, I really think you should, you should speak in tongues. I to thank God once you had that gift. I said, I prayed and asked God for that. And he, won't, he will not give that to me for, for whatever reason. I'm still open to it. You can do it tonight. It'd be great. You know, I have family members that speak in tongues. Um, a lot of our board of directors are charismatic pastors, not all of them, but several of them. And they speak in tongues. Like we have no problem whatsoever with it, you know. But it's just not a gift that I have. So this friend of mine said, you know, I just really feel like it's, it's it'll take you into the deeper things of God. Well, I was a little offended about it. I was like, are you suggesting that because I don't speak in tongues, I'm I'm not as deep in the things of God as, as you are. He said, well, I mean, so basically he was. So I said to him, OK, so just to be clear, what you're saying is you're deeper in the things of God than Billy Graham. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, he never spoke in tongues. He clearly spoke that he asked for that gift and God didn't give it to him. So are you closer with the Lord than Billy Graham? He came back to me a couple days later and said, man, I'm really sorry. I realize that just because this is something I've experienced doesn't mean that you don't walk with God. So I'll just be real careful. If you have that gift, that's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't mean if someone else doesn't have the gift, that doesn't mean you're not walking with God. Does that make
0: sense? Well, I think it's interesting in First in Corinthians 12, mm-hmm. it talks about the gifts and it talks about, yeah. my paraphrasing, um, it, it talks about how some gifts are given to some people and others are given to yeah. others. That's right. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the body of Christ and how we all yeah. make up independent mm-hmm. parts of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really unique um, to keep in mind when we're, yeah. when we're talking about that.
1: It's true. Not everyone gets a gift. Let me also say this too. Um, there is a belief that some people have in, in what's called the cessation theory, which means that somehow that ceased, it no longer exists. I don't really agree with that. I think it still does exist. I don't see why God would give a gift that you suddenly take away. So I think it can be a valid gift to, the, to this day. But I want to I clearly say this. I believe that most of the speaking in tongues in the Bible, there was an interpreter. Very rarely do you see someone speaking tongues today and someone get up and say, I know what they said. This is what God wants everyone to know. Very rarely do you see that. So really what we're talking about is what's called a prayer language where people pray in a different language and they feel like the Holy Spirit comes over them and they just begin to say things. They don't even understand what they're saying because the Bible does support this, that, that the Spirit of God will speak through groanings that we don't even understand to where the Spirit of God is praying for us on our behalf on words we don't even know to pray. But I want to be clear about this. The Apostle Paul also said that speaking in tongues is clearly a gift. And he even said, he went so far as to say, I speak in tongues more than everybody. That's what he used to say. But then he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. What he was talking about is when when you preach a message in a language, you don't even know, but they get it. So there is someone understanding it. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of the believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're crazy. So the Apostle Paul said that. So here's our take at Church Unlimited. I have no problem with the gift of speaking in tongues. If you have that, great. I have no problem with someone who says, I don't agree with it anymore. I think it's gone. I don't have a problem with you having that view either. We just don't do it at any kind of worship service we have or small group or, or ministry meeting because we don't want to put you in an awkward position if, it's, if it seems weird to you. Uh, a lot of Christians think it's weird. So how does a non-Christian feel? So, we are a church for the unchurched. So, we just don't take part in that gift in our church services. If you want to speak in tongues, you can do it to your blue in the face at home. And when you're doing it, please pray for me. Like, we have no problem with it, but we believe that that gift does not help us in reaching lost people. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, Lost people that don't know Christ are going to think you're nuts if they hear you doing this. He didn't say it's not a gift. It's just where you do it matters. And so in the Bible, it goes on later in the chapter to talk about order. And so we also don't want to become a a disorderly thing either. So that's why we don't do it. Does that help? Make sense? That's good. Yeah, we
0: want to remove every barrier we can from someone getting to know Christ. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's great. So, All right. So jumping to our next question here, is it wrong to have tattoos or piercings? It's a great question. I should show the one on my back right now, but
1: I won't. So no, it's just... (laughs) I'm just kidding. So that's a great question. And, and people have had a lot of opinions on this for a long time, but I always like to look to what does the word of God say about it? Leviticus chapter 19 says this. Let me let me flip over and read this for you. Leviticus chapter 19 says this. Do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. Now you could quickly say, oh, there it is in scripture. I shouldn't get a tattoo or piercings. But that's not what it said. It said, do not get tattoos or piercings for the dead. So what's it referring to there? It's referring to a a pagan ritual where people would mark their bodies for a false God. They would, they would pierce their bodies or, or cut their bodies in worship to a false God. Now the Bible's very clear. There's only two spirits in the world. There's the Holy spirit and there's evil spirits. That's it. There's only two. There's only, there's only evil and there's only the Holy spirit. And so any other worship of anything other than the Holy spirit, which is God would be the devil. So basically, don't pierce or mark your body in, in worship to any kind of pagan ritual. So, having said that, um, the truth is is I would say if you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. If you want to pierce your body, you can pierce your body. There's nothing wrong with that. My question is why? Why are you doing it? If you want to do it, because you think it's cool. There's nothing wrong with that either. Okay. Um, I want to say this to the students though. Um, if you're below the age of eighteen, I think your parents should be involved in that. Uh, because they just may have some wisdom, like we told our kids, and I'm just trying to speak wisdom now, not right or wrong here, but just wisdom says this, you know, you're 15, you may regret that one day, so I just would like for you to wait till you're older and married, and then if you and your spouse decide you want to do that, then fine. But no, we're not going to tattoo our girlfriend's name on our shoulder.
0: Because you don't know if that's going to last longer than six months. I I think that speaks to my concern of tattoos. Is is not that there's a problem with it, but I haven't found anything personally that I want to look at the rest of my life. Right,
1: yeah. Especially with on my body, it'll become a saggy tattoo very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, but the truth is, is that there's nothing wrong with it. But I do want to point out a couple of the scriptures, though. Ezekiel chapter 16 uh, god speaks of how he wants to bless us. And he says, I will I will give you a piercing, basically. He's saying, like, I want to give you this nice earring. So if it was evil, why would God do that? So there's nothing wrong with it. So I just want to be real clear on that. Also, I want to mention, though, 1 Kings 18, there's a false god worship going on where Elijah's facing off against the false prophets. And in worship, the people began to ramp up the worship, began to cut themselves. Now, this is different than piercings. So I want to be real clear on this. The, the Bible is very clear that Baal worship was a worship of death. It was, a, it was a death God, basically. It came across as sexual. Some people were like, oh, this is so cool, this is so great. But really it was death. Here's how it was death. They would have all this, this crazy uh, casual sex and then they would get pregnant and they would kill their babies. And so this basically, and then they would offer that baby in celebration of what they did. And basically um, it it was, it was just, it was death. They were celebrating death. And so cutting yourself was also found in Baal worship also. So I do want to talk about this because there's a lot of this going on today. So if you or someone you know or love is cutting themselves, especially young girls, I want to talk to young teenage girls, this is who's the most common with, that is probably a sign that you don't like yourself, that you may even hate yourself. You may have some self-hatred, some self-loathing. And that is the spirit of death that's on you. And I want to say in the name of Jesus, I cast that out of you right now Amen. because you are of great value and Amen. you should not hurt yourself.
0: Amen. So good.
1: Having said that, if you want to do a tattoo or a, or a piercing, I don't think the Bible is against it. I do. Will also caution judgment and just say, you're going to want to need a job and a career one day. So think about where that's located if you're going to do it and things like that do matter. And so don't be shocked when you tattoo your eyeball or, you know, your, your forehead, you're like, I don't know why they won't hire me. Well, I can probably tell you why. And so <laughs> not trying to be ugly. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just trying to say that, you know, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance. It doesn't say that's right or wrong. It just says that man does. And so you got to think about things like that, too. So that's all I'm suggesting. But that's
0: really your decision. But as a minor, that is your decision with your with your parents. So, yep, that's good. That's good. On that note, uh, let's let's transition to our last question. And this one, this This is the big one. one. Yeah. Um, It's something that we all struggle with at times and we all ask ourselves at times and ask God. But the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, this question's huge and
1: we've all we've all asked this question before. I don't know anyone that hasn't dealt with this. And I just want to say real quick too before I dive into this, you know, I don't want to just give these rote answers or even theologically accurate answers without first just bringing compassion and just saying if you've experienced something really tragic, I'm just I'm really sorry. I just I just want you to know that we we've all had this happen to us. If you haven't had some some kind of tragedy hit you yet, it just means you're probably too young yet, but it eventually will. And uh, you know I mean I know recently Pastor Michael you guys lost someone dear to your family uh, a family member uh, you know I mean I have a I have a good friend uh, in the church he's a pastor he's a retired pastor one of my one of my closest one of my family's closest friends my father's like best friends with this guy and uh, Pastor Ed you get, many of you know him he just lost his leg yeah. I mean you know and, and you know I'm looking at this going man this guy's been faithful to God his whole life and yet he goes through this incredible pain. They've had to bury children. I mean, wow, that's just, it's a and, lot. And
0: they're still an example of finding joy in the moment.
1: They, they are. I went to see him in the hospital. And I kid you not, him and Nancy, his precious wife, they were teasing about how he's going to put a peg leg on it and be a pirate next year for Halloween. I'm not kidding. This is literally 20, oh, less than 24 hours after he loses his leg. I mean, talk about a wonderful spirit. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is and just he's got such a joy about him. And I think that's what I would say if you've had a tragedy happen to you. First of all, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I'm not making light of it. I'm also not making light of Pastor Ed. He was making light of it. But that's because that's his spirit. He's just not gonna let something get him down. And that's a beautiful thing. So a couple things on this. So, first of all, I wanna just, if I can, attack the question first why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the problem with that question. That question assumes that there are good people. The Bible is really clear that none of us are good. Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even though we may do good things, at the end of the day, we are bad and we're marred by sin, all of us. But Christ and his goodness allows us to be good through salvation in Christ. Does that make sense? So all of us have done bad. I mean, that's the first thing you've got to know. Now, I'm not suggesting you deserve the evil that has come your way if something bad has happened. I want to mention a couple things. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, tribulations will come, but I've overcome the world. So he clearly says that problems are going to happen. Trials are going to happen. Tribulations, bad things are going to happen. So actually, Jesus never promised bad things are going to happen. Bad things aren't going to happen. He promised they would because we live in an evil world. So, so then the question is, well, how can a God of love make world, the world evil? He didn't. He made the world perfect. Then Adam and Eve, when he gave them free will, they messed that up. And that brought in evil into the world, into literally our genes. This is why we have deformities when we're born. This is why there is such thing as miscarriages, which we have experienced. My wife and I have lost a child. And so we know the pain of that. And by the way, I was in seminary at the time, sacrificing financially like crazy to honor God, to do his will. And I'm like, this is how I'm repaid? Like I'm serving you? And this is all my wife wants as a child? Like, how how is this fair? And yet I know people that party their brains out nonstop and don't seem to have a problem. And we're trying to honor you. So I totally get the not fair feeling. I really do, because I felt that way. But here's what happened when it happened to us. The first thing is I recognize that none of us are good in and of ourselves. God is good. Second thing, I will tell you this that God uses bad for good. God doesn't cause it, but He uses it for good. When I, when I dropped the keys to my car in my oldest son's hands when he turned 16, I said, Mason, you can take my car out for the night. You're 16 now, you got your license. But you have a choice. You can choose to do good or you can choose to do bad. The choice is yours. We've taught you well. I trust you'll do good. Drop the keys in his hand. He did good. Praise God. Right. But we know a lot of kids first get those keys. Maybe you were one of these kids. You didn't do too good. Right. And so when God gave us free choice, that gave us the ability to do good or bad. And so God made us to love us and for us to love him. But for real love to happen, we have to have the ability to choose to accept his love and to give love to him. Which means we also have the choice to choose not to accept his love and not to love him, but to do bad. Right. And so that's a choice that God gave us. The Bible even says in Romans 8 that the earth groans because of sin. Literally earthquakes, famine, um, hurricanes, accidents. All of this came into the world because sin entered the world. Right. And so. The other thing I would tell you is this, is that when bad things happen to you, it equips you to minister to people.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I have utilized the pain and the healing of our miscarriage from years ago so many times to minister to thousands of people. And so in the same way, I have friends that, that have lost children. I am not a part of that club and I pray I never am. But if I am, I know who to go to who can help minister to me like no one else because they've also lost a child. And so maybe you've been through a divorce. Well, guess who can minister really effectively to someone who's going through divorce? You can, if you've processed it, if God's brought healing to you. So when you go through horrible experiences, when bad things happen to you, you can utilize that once you get healing and God brings you through it, to make a difference to other people. The best drug counselors are former druggies. That's just how it works. And so I just want to encourage you that God will use good and bring good out of it. And the last thing I would tell you is this. I know it is sad that bad things do happen to good people, but did you know that the worst thing happened to the best person? Think about that. Jesus is righteous. He's perfect. He had no sin, yet he dies on a cross, a criminal's death. The death that was set aside for murderers for rapists. And he dies on the cross, that kind of death for all of our sin. Then he rose again. So it's the power of Christ that brings healing to you. Job said this, Job said, though he slay me, I will put my hope in him. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but I just want to take a moment to minister if I can, and just ask you to bow your heads. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're going through a hard time right now. Maybe you're like, why? Why God? Why did I lose this person I love? Why am I dealing with this pain? Why am I struggling with this addiction? Just call out to God right now. The good news about your bad situation is it brings you to God. It brings you into an understanding of Christ. The truth is most of us would never even come to Christ if it wasn't for a hard time. So maybe today it's time to come back to God. Maybe you're already a Christ follower. You just say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I know you're in my heart, but I have not been walking with you. And this, this pain I'm dealing with has reminded me how much I need you, God. So I'm coming back to you. Or maybe your prayer today is you've never received Christ. You can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer across all of our churches right now. Those who are watching online, just pray this prayer with me out loud. You can just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. Please come in my heart. Be my Lord. And be my Savior. Be my savior. I, repent my I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. You in first place. Thank you, Jesus, Thank you, Jesus. For, saving for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just pray that prayer, if you just gave your life to Jesus, no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand high right now if you just gave your life to Christ? Just hold your hand high. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our different churches. Praise God. Thank you. Hold your hand high all the way in the back. Thank you. We see those hands. Hold them high. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Rodfield. Thank you. Hold your hand high. Thank you, Stone Oak. Praise God. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. Thank you, Padre Allen. Praise God. If you're watching online right now, you can put it in the text chat. Just text, my hand's raised, or click hand raised. Praise God. If you're at our prison ministry right now, just hold your hand high. Praise God. We'd love to hear from you if you just gave your life to Christ. You're not alone. Many people made that decision as well. Lord, thank you, God, for the way you're working in your house, the way you're working in people's lives. Thank you, God, that even when bad things happen, it draws us to you. It helps us realize that you love us and are there for us, even in our darkest moments. Thank you for these people who just gave their life to Christ. And thank you, Lord, that we can be drawn back to you. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.